Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Matt Koppelman. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Oh, can you hear me okay? All right, here we go. Uh, turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to cha- uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to read a little bit. If a few folks asked me this morning, um, how's Jake doing at school? Well, if you were watching SEC Nation yesterday, you saw how Jake was doing at school. Um, I hope he's, I know, I know he's having fun, but I hope he's mixing some studying in. We saw him on TV yesterday. Um, I don't know if that's good or bad when your son shows up on TV. Uh, he didn't paint his chest, so that's good. Um, Hebrews chapter 3, and starting in verse 12, it says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning... Uh, so very thankful for all that you are doing. And I couldn't help but think this morning as we're praying um, intercession for people, Lord, that there is a lot of hurt in us. We go through a lot of difficult things. There's a lot of um, pain. There's a lot of disease. There's a lot of hurt. And I just pray that you would heal those things. Lord, as John prayed, Lord, we want those things gone. We know that you have a plan, though, and we embrace that and we know that. But we pray that you would do these things to show your mighty works in our lives, Lord. We want to hear from you and nobody else. Doctors are great. Praise the Lord for them, Lord. But we want you to be involved in our lives. We want you to answer our prayers. We want to be intimate with you. That is what we desire, Lord. I pray that you, we, we'd hear from you specifically this morning and nothing else. Is your name we pray. Amen. As we continue in this series, uh, Game Changer, and next week we're going to talk about getting back in the game, I can't help but remember a story that comes to my mind very well, and I can never forget this story. A young boy of a friend of mine was sitting on the couch watching NASCAR on TV. Loved watching NASCAR, loved watching racing, could never watch enough of it. And he turned to his dad one day as they're watching NASCAR, and he said, Dad, Dad says, yes, son. He says, Dad, I need some Viagra. Dad says, really, son? Why is that? He says, well, I need to get in the game. Now, this is the truth of advertising, as you know, in NASCAR. Am I right? Young boy did not know what was going on, but he was, uh, you know, infected by the advertising in NASCAR. You know, you watch NASCAR, it's one big billboard. Every car is. I thought it was pretty funny. Whenever I think of the word getting back into the game. That's why I kind of laugh about that because I can remember that vividly. Um, But when I am encouraged, when I am uh, spurned on to get back in the game, to suit back up, maybe to get back out there, to get back out in our culture, to keep running, to keep fighting the fight, I get get excited. And I am, am ready to get back in. I get juiced up a little bit. I look forward to getting back in the game. But when I do, I look for something that's going to be better than last time. I look for something that is going to change the way my experience is. I'm looking for something like an idea or maybe or a tactic or a, a plan to do things better this time when I get back in the game. I'm looking for a game changer. 
I'm looking for a secret that will make my experience better, more meaningful maybe, more successful. I need a game changer. Well, what is a game changer? Well, by definition, a game changer is an event, an idea, or procedure that affects a significant shift in the current manner of doing something about something, or thinking, or uh, excuse me, manner of doing or thinking about something. Uh, in business, this may be a new way of doing business, a new tactic maybe. Uh, the iPhone was a game changer, wasn't it? E-commerce and the internet is a game changer to many businesses. The way Amazon, if you've dealt with Amazon, you know how they operate as a game changer. They do things very well. Um, in sports, you have players or you have coaches or you have tactics or game plans that can be a game changer where teams go from loser to winner overnight and the game shifts to a whole new way that it's played. You might have entertainers that are game changers. They don't set in one on, on one genre. They are no longer country or pop, but they are crossover. They have wide-ranging appeal. They can be considered a game changer. But you know, there are game changers for all these different areas in our life. And in the body of believers, it is no different. We don't really call our lives a game necessarily. As Christians, we would say it's our sanctification. It's how we live out our faith. Um, it's believing in Jesus Christ. It's the road to sanctification. It's being obedient. It's being more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Amen? This area is where we want real progress made. We want our sanctification to become greater and greater so we are more like Jesus. We want that area to make great strides in. We've been talking about our Christian lives and living in community, and we will do this for a few more weeks. And I think it's better to think about it like this, and I've heard it said this way, and I agree, so I'm going to repeat it, that circles are better than rows. That is the game changer. For your spiritual life, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. For your Christian growth, for your sanctification, circles are better than rows. Now you might say, well, that's great, but that's nothing new. That's not a very complex game changer, and that's the beauty of it. While not all game changers are simple, the really good ones are. Einstein once said that if you cannot explain it simply, you do not understand it well enough. The explanation, the explanation is this, that in your spiritual life, circles are better than rows. There will be things that happen in a circle that will never happen in a row. There are things that will grow your faith in a circle of believers in community that will not happen on a Sunday morning but will happen in community. There is growth that will happen face to face that will not happen shoulder to shoulder. Now, life groups are a huge part of this church. We have talked about this um, in the past. We will continue to talk about this. They are a huge part of our church. But why do we say this? Why are they big? Why do we desire them to be successful? Why do we want everyone to be part of one? Well, it's because we were not created to walk, to live our Christian life alone. There was no call in Scripture for you to go 
out by yourself to be a spiritual lone ranger. I mean, think about it. In Scripture, even fishermen and other people were gathered one by one by Jesus to be a group of men living life in community. It's vital that we live in community as well. When our family went to Florida this summer on vacation, we rented a kayak one day. It was great. And as we're sitting on the shore on the beach, we see the beautiful water, and then we look out further, and it gets really blue. And so our goal was to get this kayak and to row out to the really deep blue water. So as we went, and we paddled, and we paddled, and we kept going, we got tired, and so we rested. Well, what we quickly realized is that we were, as soon as we rested, we were being pushed back towards the beach. And before we knew it, we had to keep rowing and keep paddling to gain the lost ground that we had. The waves kept hitting and the, the winds were up. They kept pushing us back to where we wanted to be. We wanted to be out in that deep part out there. It was real pretty and really deep and far away. That's where we wanted to be. And this is much like the life in which we live. This is much like the culture in which we live. That typically, when we are left alone, we move away from good things, naturally, don't we? I mean, we naturally, we get caught up in our life and we drift or we move away from things that are good. We rarely drift towards something that is good for us. I mean, think about that. What about exercise? Do you normally get up and, you know, without much effort, run and exercise? No. What about diet? Does that happen naturally? No, if you're not intentional about it, you're eating all kinds of cruddy stuff. <laughs> right? What about a budget? That's a good one. Do we naturally gravitate towards good budgeting in our life? No. What about healthy relationships? I mean, healthy relationships take being intentional. They take um, effort to be in a healthy relationship. You know, our fellowship with God takes effort. Our relationship is by faith. That will never change. But our fellowship with Him depends on our obedience to Him. It takes effort. It takes us being intentional. Saying, Lord, I am obedient to You. I desire what You desire. I'm coming to meet with You. I desire that. That takes intentionality. That takes effort. Because if we don't do this, then we feel less intimate with Him. And we drift from Him. We move away. We feel distant because typically the pull in our life is in the wrong direction, isn't it? If left unattained or unintentional, we will move in the wrong directions. Our kids feel this at school at times. We feel this as well. We are swimming, you could say, upstream. And the good things that we want in our life, to get those, to obtain those, to be part of that, we are going against the current. We don't naturally drift or move towards those things. I mean, our culture does not move us towards healthy places, does it? They don't tell you, men, love your wives sacrificially. <laughs> now, that's not what they, our culture encourages us to do. Left alone, if we look to, towards those things and aren't intentional about other things, we will drift to those areas that are unhealthy, 
But we do know this, when we make the effort to move towards healthy things, when we exercise well, we diet well, we have a good budget, we're in healthy relationships, even though it takes effort, we look back on that and we say that was worth it. Because it's good. It's good to be there. And the interesting thing is that when making an effort to move towards something good, we are more successful when we do not do it alone. When we do it with others. When we are in community. Because we were not created to simply live our faith alone, to run alone. This game changer about rows, excuse me, circles better than rows is not new. It's a very old idea. The first century church addressed this. They talked about this very issue. In Hebrews, we see this. Now, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, even though there are Many, many books written on various people's convictions on road Hebrews, but we do not know for sure. It's unclear who wrote it, but we're glad somebody did. Verse 12, it says this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. So the author here is talking to Christians. He's talking to brothers and sisters. That's you and I as believers in Jesus Christ. And the first question I think of is, what Christian is going to fall away from the living God? We know what to do. We are highly educated. But who in their right mind as a Christian is going to fall away or turn away from God? Can't we all raise our hand on this? That's written to every one of us. I mean, we are highly educated people when it comes to God's word, but we turn from God. The fact that he addresses this, the author of Hebrews, tells us, tells me that we have the capacity and the ability to do this. In fact, verses 7 through 11, uh, through 11 before these verses is a royal enchantment. It's Psalm 95, where he is talking about the children of Israel and how they rebelled and hardened their hearts towards God. And it says this. He says, Do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. They have not... They have not known my ways, so I declare an oath in my anger that they, that they shall never enter my rest. The author is telling Christians here, beware, take care that this does not happen to you again. This is not my desire. This is not the way to act. This is not the path to go down. James 1, 14 says this, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now, it's not like we wake up in the morning and we say, you know what, I'm going to turn from the living God today. I'm going to go out the door. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to take a path that leads me away from God. But that's what sin does, doesn't it? We... Don't think of it in terms like this. We don't think of our sin as I'm turning from God. I'm rebelling against God. We just think of, well, it's, it's just a sin. But I think we need to think about it that way. That when I sin, what I'm saying is, God, your way is not good enough. I'm going to do it my way. 
The sin starts from within, doesn't it? We are dragged away, it says, by our evil desires and enticed. But how great would it be to have another person face to face with you and saying, hey, brother, do you really want to do that? Or do you really want to go down that path? Is that really what you meant to do? I mean, how great would that be to have another sister or brother face to face with you in community saying, I don't think that's what you want to do. And that's what happens in community. That's what happens in circles that may or may not many times happen in rows. Proverbs 4 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything flows from it. I love the way the New American Standard finishes the verse. It says, watch over your heart with all diligence, but he says, for from it flows the springs of life. You know, the heart in the Old Testament was thought of being the seat of emotion and thought, and everything that you did flowed from your heart, flowed from within. That's why we're told to guard our heart. We are to guard our heart, what comes in, what we allow to stay in and kind of bounce around, what we allow to see, what we allow to do, do anything that affects our heart. We're told to guard against this. Beware. Because an unbelieving heart is a cancer that will slowly erode our ability to trust and rely on God. And this does not happen overnight, does it? We don't walk out the door and say, well, I'm going to turn from God today. Praise Jesus, here I go. That's not what we do. It would be helpful if we think about our sin in that way. It's a callous that happens over time. We become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. You see, moving away from God, it starts from within. It starts from inside my heart. Maybe with a thought or maybe with a doubt or a question. And the deal is this. When this happens to us, when that happens, does anybody know? No. If you start having sin in your heart and doubt in your heart and questions in your heart, does anybody typically know that's happening? Nobody knows that this is happening unless you are in community or you have allowed someone to have access to you. That is a type of community and connection that might not happen on a Sunday morning, but it will happen in community. Circles are better than rows. I can sit in front of you on a Sunday morning in the row in front of you or behind you and never know what is going on in your heart. But chances are, I will know if we're in a circle and we have spent time together and we are in community together. I mean, typically we come to church and we look good, right? We put a smile on our face. Maybe we wear some nice clothes and we're always smiling. How your, how's your day? How you doing? Oh, great, man. Everything's wonderful. How's your wife? Oh, everything's great. But chances are is what is happening inside does not come out on a row on a Sunday morning, but does in a circle during the week. And the thing about this verse is that it's plural. It's to all of us. It's to brothers and sisters. It's, a, it's to a group of Christians. It's this getting together, and it's not a command for us to go it alone. It's to look around at each other in a circle and saying, you're my brothers and sisters and I need this. I need to be in community with you. Circles are better than rows. That's your game changer. Verse 13 says this, 
But encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You know, the word here for encouraged is really translated better, exhort. Uh, Many translations have it this way. It's also translated to beg or to urge or to admonish in an up-close personal way. This is not the type of encouragement that you're going to get at Orwell on a a morning or on an evening that you're playing Little League Baseball. This is the exhortation. This is the begging. This is the face-to-face, don't go there. Don't do this. It's more than that. And it says that we're supposed to do this to each other daily. And I don't know what's going on to exhort you daily unless I am in community with you. Or I know what's going on in your heart because you only have given access to me. That's the only way I'm going to know. Later on in Hebrews chapter 10, the author says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let me ask you a question. Think about your life. Have you ever wondered how things might have been different if you were in a community at some point in your life and you had given access to yourself by somebody else and they came along and they spurred you on to love and good deeds and they said, I'm here to exhort you. Don't go down this road. Don't do this. How would have things turned out differently in your life? How would have things turned out differently in your marriage? What about the home in which you grew up in? If your mom or dad had this type of experience, would that have been different in the home in which you grew up? He goes to tell us to do this daily, not just on a Sunday morning, but daily. A good way to think about this is to do this while you have opportunity, while it's there, while it's happening, in the moment. And I don't know about you, but in the culture I live in and you live in, I need encouragement. I need to be exhorted on a daily basis. Not only the kind on a Sunday morning, that is great and that is healthy and that is good, but I need the type of exhortation that comes face to face, somebody calling me up or seeing me in community. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's the purpose statement. So that, he's saying all this stuff, so that we are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are to encourage each other, exhort each other daily so our hearts are not hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And what I said earlier, it's true. We don't think about going out and saying, well, today I'm going to run from God. I'm going to turn away from God. But sin deceives us. I think many times we talk ourselves into our sin. Well, it's just this one time. You know, it'll be all right. I can handle it. Or, you know, I've worked hard this week. I deserve this. Besides, who will know? Who will find out? Well, nobody will find out. If you haven't given access to yourself to somebody else. And then what happens is that we actually end up believing our own destructive reasoning in our mind. And no longer is it something that is harmful and turns me away from God. But it's just a thing that happens every now and then. And it's okay because I can control it. And while I think we need to combat destructive and untruth thinking. Untruth thinking in our mind with scripture. I think what the author is saying here in these two verses is that it's better to have just someone else other than just me in this fight. 
It is better to have others, a group, a community, a we, so that our hearts are not deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. The we in community, the circles that happen during the week that may not happen on a Sunday morning, that is what we need. That's what he's saying here. Brothers and sisters, encourage each other, daily exhort each other to not have a hardened heart. Proverbs 27 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We sharpen each other. We, it is not a go-it-alone situation. You cannot sharpen yourself. Let me ask you a question. What is God, excuse me, what are you telling yourself right now in your mind that is the start of the hardening of your heart? What is it? What destructive things are you repeating in your mind? What destructive thoughts are you considering? What actions are you thinking about doing in your mind that is the start of hardening of your heart? What are you saying that if you were in a circle in community and you were to tell somebody what you are thinking, they would look at you and they would say, have you lost your mind? So many times we think of these thoughts and we go through these thoughts and we justify our, our actions and our thoughts and we never tell anybody and our heart becomes hardened but if we were to tell somebody a couple things happen one when we verbalize actually what we're thinking about doing we think to ourselves that really is stupid and we realize how it's kind of destructive and we think about it a different way and then when we tell somebody else about it yeah they might think we're crazy but if we are in a circle they might keep us from crazy and we tell them, this is what I've been struggling with. And then when we say it out loud to another person, they go, yeah, that's pretty destructive. Have you lost your mind? You're crazy. But we need this. You see, when we sharpen each other, so many cases is that um, we can help others move away from a destructive thought pattern, a destructive life, a destructive event that moves them away from God. But here's the deal. We didn't understand and we need to embrace the idea that community is something that we need as believers. It is all throughout scripture. We need to live in community. You might not want people too close to you. Maybe you are fearful of being too close to some other people that you thought are weird or strange, they do weird things, they raise their hands, whatever. And I get that. I understand that. That may be why you don't want to be in community. You don't want to be too close to somebody. I get that. I understand that. But tell me if you can relate to this, borrowing a few words from our, from my favorite comedians, Jeff Foxworthy. If you have heard prayers that are longer than John's messages, you might be in a life group, right? That happens. <laughs> it's, it's part of what happens in life groups, potentially. If you have experienced people that want to tell you about their day, all the while never asking about your day, you might be in a life group. <laughs> if, you have been a, if you have been around leaders who want you to hold hands while praying, you might be in a life group. If you're praying and you hear a lot of, uh-huh, yes, praise Jesus, yes, Lord, you might be a life group as well. We can all relate to these things. They may make you feel uncomfortable. 
that's not your style. You don't want to be too close to people. You don't want to be around people that you think are odd and different and all these things. But understand, if you move away from community because of some of these situations that you don't want to be around some people that say and do things that you wouldn't say and you wouldn't do, I know there's one thing that I know for sure, and listen to me on this, that people are weird, but Jesus is Lord. And you and I are people. Every one of us. So yes, people do, and people say weird things, but don't let that crazy keep you away from being part of a community that might keep you from doing something great. In fact, I bet some point in your life, you have done some really weird things. If you have said some really odd things, and people might have looked at you and said, man, that's really weird. We all do these things, can't we? It's no different with us. The children of Israel... You read in scripture where they're in the wilderness and God is providing God is providing um, manna and quail from heaven. And what do they do? They complain, don't they? They say, oh, we're sick of this. We're tired of this. And we think to ourselves, if God was providing me food from heaven, I would never complain. Really? Jesus just finishes talking about his death and resurrection. And James and John say, you know, hey, Jesus, that, you know, we don't quite understand that thing very well, but it's pretty cool. But, hey, can I sit in your right hand and John, can we sit in your left hand? Can you tell us, can we do this? What? So people have a long history, a rich tradition of saying some pretty dumb and some pretty odd things, don't we? You and I are all included in this. But don't let that type of crazy prevent you being community. That can keep us from being crazy and doing crazy things. I've heard a pastor uh, talk about it like this. When he talked about living in community in these verses, he talks about it like this. He says, we all need somebody seeing about us. Isn't that a great southern way of saying it? We all need people seeing about us. And I was looking to close today with an illustration of where somebody had come up to me recently besides my wife and said, Hey, I'm checking in on you. How are you doing? Really, I didn't have an example of that. I'll be honest with you. I can't say besides my wife and my dad, maybe somebody has called me up and said, hey, you know what? How are you doing? How's your wife? How's your relationship with her? How's your quiet time? Are you having a quiet time? That has not happened to me recently. I don't know what that's a testament to necessarily. But maybe you are in that same position where you need that in community. Just like I need that in community. So people can check in on us. Not in a pushy, weird way, but in a way that's gracious, <clears throat> when it reflects love and patience. But maybe you have had that happen to you. Maybe you do have somebody checking in on you. And if you do, we need you in a life group. We need you to bring that to our culture of our church, to be in a community. And that is a mainstay in our church. Because we need to be in a community. We need others checking in on us, keeping us from the deceitfulness of sin that can lead to an unbelieving hard heart towards God. So that's my challenge to you this morning, is to get back in the game. But this time, you need to do it in community. Do it with each other. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church Podcast. 
We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org slash podcast.